Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi everyone, I'm John Schaust. And I'm Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode five of Nature Centered and today's topic, nesting. And what a cool topic it is, but there's more to it than meets the eye. Nesting for birds is an amazing accomplishment. And if you think about all the challenges and, and, and parts and pieces, I mean, why would a little bird living in Costa Rica fly all the way to the northern part of North America to have its young and then turn around and go all the way back? Huge challenges, huge dangers, lots of cool things that we're going to talk about today. So many things, John, that we can be talking about. So, so much that we're thinking this is going to be a two-part series podcast. So today in part one, I know we're going to be touching on how migration and nesting are so intertwined. Why do birds do this? But also, where do birds nest and why? You know, plus we're also going to have that fun activity that you can do with the kids like we always have. And part two of today's uh, webcast uh, will be dealing with things that you can do in your own backyard to help these birds and to make it a little easier for them and hopefully help them to be more successful. So stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of fun. All right, Brian, talking nesting. And boy, has it been a fun again. Having so much time in my backyard and being able to watch things around my house this spring has been amazing. The number of things associated with birds nesting in my yard, the fledglings, the actually finding the nest, the birds using my nest boxes. It's just been an outstanding, outstanding spring for me. Man, my yard has been the same, John. Really, really exciting. The, the level of activity of birds and parent birds and now baby birds all running around and just being able to see what do they look like how they're acting i love all the activity at the feeders with uh, the foods that the parents are picking up for themselves before they even had the nests and and now for their, all of those little fledglings bouncing around it's been really really fun yeah i think we need to uh, encourage everybody to get out walk around it, it is uh, when you really take the time and that's probably been the difference for me personally this year is I've had the time. And if you really take the time and either just sit there and watch the activity, where are these birds going and coming from and that type of thing. Walk around and look in the shrubs, look at the uh, low branches of your trees, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, if you've got nest boxes, obviously observe those. But there's just a lot of activity that I think for most of us, we miss. We miss in everyday life. And I think our job today is really to encourage people to slow down a little bit and, and, and check it out in their own backyard. Yes, helping to open people's eyes to what's going on and in nature and in their own backyard and how there's a whole world of families being raised. Good, but good. that really begs that question, John. Why do birds even bother with migration when they could just stay here, raise families, and not even have to work? <laughs> it just blows your mind. I mean, literally, you think about it, it just blows your mind when... You think about some bird, as I just mentioned, you know, coming all the way from Central or even South America to yes. North America to nest. And, and it, how did that, where did that get written in the rule book? You know, who started that? Uh, so, the, <laughs> so the bottom line is, it's actually a fascinating story in the sense of 
you know, these birds are doing it because of a couple of different reasons. If you think if I'm in Central America, my day length is exactly the same every day. It's 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of night. If I come to North America, my day length is much longer. I can have 15 hours of daylight or even 16 hours of daylight. What does that got to do with anything? Well, if I'm putting myself in danger by sitting on a nest all day long and then raising young and I'm stuck to one location day in and day out, that's dangerous. Man, predators zero in on me. I want to shorten that length of time of nesting as much as possible. And by having that extra two, three, even four hours a day to feed my nestlings, um, you know, before they fledge, I can shorten that period quite a bit. The other cool thing is, if you look at a globe, where is most of the land mass on Earth? It's in the northern hemisphere, not the southern hemisphere. And therefore, I don't have to fight off as many competitors for my nesting space because I've got more room to spread out and, and, and have a bigger, larger territory that'll help sustain my young because I have more territory, I have more food available to feed them. So it's kind of a cool, cool thing to, to know why they do that. More space, more food, raise those young. You know, one of those really interesting things, you look at a robin to give a good example, that if a robin nesting in Alaska versus robin nesting in the Midwest and North America, you know, in Alaska, they have 30% more feeding trips that they can take to the feeders, and or excuse me, 30% more feeding trips that they can take food to the nestlings because the day length is out much longer. And that what that actually does is shorten their nesting period by two or three days. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool stuff. So I guess the bottom line is maybe, you know, all the hazards because migration is, is full of all kinds of hazards. You know, we, we estimate that probably, you know, at least probably gosh, half the birds each year uh, succumb to migration uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, don't survive the trips to and from uh, their wintering grounds. Uh, so it's a really big hazard, but overall, maybe for the individual, but as for the entire uh, uh, group of birds, species, if you will, uh, it actually has benefits. Uh, so um, again, it's all about nesting, and they are willing to make that sacrifice to get here and be successful in their nesting. Yeah, and once they're here and once it's nesting time, yeah, one of those fun things we alluded to earlier, go out and look for nests. Where are you going to find nests? What kind of birds nest where? So let's talk about some of those examples. Yeah, one of the uh... just make sure your neighbors aren't watching you as you do this. <laughs> Invite them along, you know. Let's have some fun with it. Make yeah, a neighborhood yeah, you're, uh, activity. You're going through all your bushes and shrubs, <laughs> and you're parting the grass on the edge of the driveway and seeing that there's something down there. And they're Martha, what's he doing out there? Yeah, binoculars. No, really, I'm looking up in the tops of the trees. But as you mentioned, what would be some of the things that uh, that uh, would help people find these nests? Well, again, it's it's it is those different habitats and the places to, to nest. You know, like cardinals, uh, they love shrubbery. They love to nest inside and around my house. I've got landscaping around my house with um, uh, shrubs of native shrubs of different types. And if I'm going to find a cardinal cardinal's nest in my house or around my yard, 
that's probably where I'm going to find it. So that'll be the first place I look to see if I can find the Cardinals nesting this year. Now, John, maybe the first place a lot of people are not going to look is the bush because they're going to generally, if they have a wreath on their door, there's going to be a bird probably trying to nest in that wreath. <laughs> it's usually a house finch. We get lots of questions about yeah. that. I have a bird nesting in my wreath. What is it? Carolina wrens will do that too, yeah. House wrens, Carolina wrens, yeah. house finches. Uh, it's amazing where birds will nest. So sometimes you don't even have to look hard, and they're just going to be in your face. Actually, sometimes um, American robins will nest in that wreath, or even on your little uh, top of your light out in your front door if you have a light on the outside of your house. Uh, but robins, too, under the eaves. They like to make their nest on a downspout. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's it's pretty obvious where someone what some of these birds are going to nest. Yeah. And this is where you get the part with <laughs> getting the binoculars out and having the neighbors look at you a little strangely. But if you have dead trees in your yard, um, you have to spend a few minutes with a pair of binoculars and scan up and down the limbs of that dead tree because there are so many nesting cavities potentially in, in dead trees that woodpeckers, for the primarily woodpeckers, make. Uh, and then those, those are... Uh, the cavities that they use for their nesting, but they don't reuse. And so the next year, they're available for other birds to use, like bluebirds and, uh, and some other uh, species. So the bottom line is, if you have dead trees, definitely spend a few minutes checking out, looking over, finding the nesting cavities. Uh, one of my coolest things I think I ever saw, and this was very early on uh, in my career as a naturalist, uh, a little dead snag, if you will, just a little dead tree, probably wasn't more than three or four inches in diameter and it had been broken off at about eight feet and it had stood and rotted. It was just very punky or very soft. And I watched a chickadee use an old woodpecker's, uh, you know, uh, feeding hole. It wasn't a nest. It was just where the woodpecker had opened up to try to feed probably years and years and years before that. But they actually make a cavity nest themselves. And you wouldn't think that little chickadee could do that. But they use old, skunky, you know, standing, almost ready to fall over trees. And they literally tweezer out little flakes of little twigs, or not twigs, but little um, pieces of the wood. And... So slowly but surely make a nesting cavity. That was way cool to be able to see that firsthand. You imagine how long that would take. I know. <laughs> it's like a little <laughs> pair of tweezers, you know, pulling out splinters. Uh, another really cool place that you can find nests. You think about uh, if you have a, a rock garden, look in there for nests because you'll get some birds. You know, house friends might use it, but uh, a couple of things that have been really cool that I've been able to find in some of my travels uh, since we live in the Midwest Buick wrens mm -hmm. and mountain chickadees, they'll actually nest down near the ground in little rock crevices. So if you make a rock garden and leave spaces in between those rocks, yeah, you can have birds nesting in there too. Yeah, another really cool one, and you and I have both seen this when we've traveled and, and done birding tours out west, is uh, the really cool nest of bush tits. Oh, yeah. those are so <laughs> just engineering marvels. Yeah, the little teeny bird, if you're not familiar with bush tits, and, and, and what, you know, um, if, you, if you're not familiar with some of these birds, there's a lot of resources online where you just type in bush tit and you'll be able to get an image and see what we're talking about. But, but the bottom line is these guys make a big, you know, we talked about Orioles in our previous podcast where they stitch together this, this hanging basket. Well, <laughs> bush tits make it even bigger. It's a huge hanging basket and it's just very, very cool to see. So yeah, lots of neat things to look for in your yard and, and around. Uh, in regards to nesting and, and nest and that type of thing. But there's also behavior that we want to kind of key you in on to look for when the nesting is going on. Yes, indeed. 
You know, I love to watch that behavior and watch to see, even if you don't know the birds are nesting, you can look and try to spy some things out with parent birds to start to see, how do I know if they're nesting or not? And, you know, a couple of those things. One is they're flying into the feeders and they're gathering up food and flying away. And just back and forth trips, especially if you see them collecting a bunch of food in their mouth and then not eating it, but flying off with it. There's a sure sign that you've got a family being raised somewhere nearby. Yeah, there's courtship behavior, all different types of courtship behaviors you want to look forward to. They'll key you off that, uh, that those birds are nesting nearby. My favorite right now is the cardinals. I, I have cardinals, and, and they're kind of famous for the kissing cardinals. Uh, you know, people you know, romanticize that, oh, look, you know, they're kissing. Well, actually what it is, it's a feeding behavior where the male will present food to the female and when he puts it in her bill, it looks like they're kissing. Uh, but it's actually a, a very uh, useful uh, indicator for the female. I mean, you think about it. What's a bird's entire life spent doing? Feeding well, themselves. besides finding food, yeah, exactly. Feeding <laughs> themselves. It's what well, my entire life's all about too. But, uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is, you know, they the feeding themselves, and so for a bird to actually give up food to another bird, that's huge, absolutely huge, and it tells that female that indeed this male will be a good provider for her nesting attempt. Yes, John, and I've always found that uh, in all my time of dating previously you know it was always a big hit when took someone out for dinner or brought food in but even now my wife loves it it's the kissing cunninghams <laughs> 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 and then of course now you know you've had the nesting you get the young birds running around your yard how do you identify do you, you know, I, I know for me personally i watched for years and didn't really pay attention to the youngsters you know, i didn't really Pay attention to what I was actually seeing. Oh my gosh, it's the young fledglings coming to my feeders, or are being are chasing the, the 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 adults around the yard, or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of cool things to watch for to help you key into the new generation of birds that are showing up in your backyard. Oh yeah, I love to listen to birds. I love to try to hear what they're saying, try to interpret and understand what they're saying to one another. Uh, one of those things that almost always keys me in so quickly that the babies are out of the nest they're chasing their parents as they have just this incessant chatter and it's this little feed me call and goldfinches do me, this feed me feed me what what <laughs> there it is there it is um yeah goldfinches have and it almost sounds exactly like feed me um chickadees and some of these other birds sometimes it's just a a single note call kind of like a me me, 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 and it just keeps going. And you know, I guess sometimes you can equate that to having our own children and mom, 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 <laughs> mom, mom. <laughs> it's it's I never very, heard very that. similar. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of the things you can look for too uh, in regards to uh, appearance. Uh, some like our, our cardinals again, uh, the juveniles when they come out of the nest. You know, our cardinal has that bright bright bill on them well juvenile does not that juvenile actually has a gray bill for about the first six to eight weeks of its life so you can identify this year's young by on the cardinal just by looking at the bill uh, other birds the feathers are just what's the term that i think you use sometimes brian motley, motley crew, crew. 
<laughs> they're just motley. They just, you know, their feathers are unkept. They're soft in the sense of they're not real sleek and smooth, but they're kind of soft and 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 uh, textured as opposed to being smooth. Uh, so there's things like that. Uh, the tail, right. the tail is is on a lot of birds. The tail is the last thing to grow out fully. And a lot talk of these... about the weirdest thing to see in a bird. <laughs> a bird with no tail. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pathetic. <laughs> so many of the birds will actually fledge before their tail has reached its full length. So if you see a bird flying around, it's only got like a tail about half as long as it's supposed to be. Yeah, no, you got a youngster coming to your feeders. So there's there again, there's dozens of different ways to uh, identify the youngsters. The main key, and again, I'm, I'm personal experience, until you really start thinking about it and looking at the birds and really you know studying the birds that are coming to your feeders, you might miss some of these clues. But once you got them they become very, very obvious. So, Brian, a little bit about our natural history of birds and and, uh, things that we can uh, look for. How about some things that we can do, especially with kids, for nesting? You know, John, thinking about helping out the birds and helping them raise family, I think about um, how we raise our own children and we're trying to give them all the tools to make them as successful as possible. Um, one of the really neat things you can do and you know, get the kids involved, get the grandkids involved, is give some tools to the birds in your own backyard to help them to make those nests, make those homes so that they can successfully raise a family as best possible. Um, so gather some nesting materials and make a, make a little pile or make multiple piles of different things and put them out in sites where you can watch and see if the birds are coming in and using them. So the best things are usually the most natural, the things that they're gonna naturally use, like it could be dead twigs, dried leaves, uh, strips of dried grasses, or even if you have any chicken feathers, uh, also plant fluff or plant down, kind of like cottonwood down or cattail fluff. Um, if you have any moss, put that out there, bark strips. One of the other materials that's used quite often are pine needles, but one of my favorites is actually mud. Just get a shallow dish, put some dirt in it, little water, make it make a nice little mud paste. And it's amazing to see how many different birds will come in and take mouthfuls of that to go make their nest. And what, kid, times, and what kid doesn't like to mess with mud, right? I know, exactly. <laughs> but normally when you say nesting materials, the number one thing that everyone thinks you should put out, dryer lint. Ooh. <clears throat> Please don't. Let, let me tell you why. Number one, dryer lint just doesn't have any insulating properties. And insulating properties in a nest are really important for those little nestlings. And sometimes it'll have fragrances in there, but that main thing is no insulation. So stay away from the dryer lint. And they even say now, um, animal fur and hair and yarn and, and strings, keep away from those. There are plenty of natural materials that the birds can use. And so let's keep it as natural as possible, have some fun, and watch to see what birds are coming in and picking those things up. Yeah, that's one of the things you can do to help, obviously. And, and how much fun would that be for the kids if the birds start using the stuff that they put out and they can actually, you know, watch them build a nest with it? How cool would that be? Uh, there's a lot of things we can do. Uh, and again, as we mentioned early on, uh, there's so much about nesting that we kind of made the decision that we're going to make a two-parter out of this uh, subject. Uh, so uh, we're going to come back in part two 
and talk about those things that you can specifically do in your backyard to increase habitat for nesting and nesting success for the birds and to do nesting boxes. What makes a good nesting box? Uh, uh, where do I put that nesting box? How high do I place that nesting box, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, again, as part of our ongoing uh, Save the Songbirds uh, initiative uh, for Wild Birds Unlimited, we are... Uh, the champions of the National Wildlife Federation Certified Wildlife Habitat Program. So we always encourage you to learn more about this subject by going to uh, the National Wildlife Federation, uh, nwf.org, our wbu.com websites, and find more information and help yourself be better at helping your nesting neighbors. Uh, all right, Brian, so that's our nesting and looking at the, why the birds do this and why it's so tough on them. Uh, so I'm looking forward to coming back and talk about uh, how people can help make it a little bit easier for birds. Yes, John, looking forward to everyone coming back and joining us just like you were talking about. We've got a lot of tangible things that you could be doing in your yard to really help all these birds be successful and really have a lot of fun and find a lot of joy in inviting them to raise their own families in your yard. So on behalf of all of us here at Wild Birds Unlimited, we thank you again for joining us for this portion of our nature-centered podcast about nesting. Please join us for part two when we will be talking more of the how-tos on nesting. So please take care and be safe. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com slash podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>